Welcome. This is Jeff Johnson, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. And today I got a great guest. I, I was really excited to get Ryan on here. Uh, I've had the absolute pleasure to be in his backyard uh, about a month ago at the end of our, matter of fact, the very end of the Living Undeterred U.S. tour. And wow, what a what a bow tie, Ryan, to put on our whole our whole initiative. Welcome to the show, man. I'm I'm super stoked to talk to you, and I admire the heck out of what you're doing, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, and it's uh, good to connect with you again. It's been a couple of weeks now. Yeah. Um, so I guess my first question is, how how did we ever end up having the RV parked in front of your free spiritual community? I know Sarah and Molly had worked at trying to find passionate nonprofits around the country, and you ended up uh, working with us. How'd that all come about? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. Uh, the Phoenix here in Denver reached out to us and said... Uh, Hey, we know these great people. Jeff Johnston, he sent us your website, kind of told us what you were up to and uh, said, you guys have the perfect space to host an event like this. And I said, let me check with my team. Let, let's do some research. And uh, your mission was right in line with uh, what we, you know, what we're up to. Uh, breaking the silence of addiction is our mission here at Free. And uh, yeah, you guys, you guys are doing very similar work. Your message, man, it's a good message. The world needs more of it. So anytime we can partner with like-minded people, uh, get some congruency in the mission, uh, we decided to go for it. And uh, so we started talking to Molly and she, she hooked us up. It was a great event. Yeah, I knew when I texted Sarah after we came out of Denver and I said, wow, you know, thanks for setting that up. And she said, like winking, I knew, I, I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> um, so she must've known I was really going to feel, feel welcomed. And, uh, man, I tell you, you guys, you guys really have it going out there. And I think what I want to do today is kind of peel back the layers a little bit about how you ended up, um, where you are kind of the journey that we talked a little bit when we first met there at your facility there. Um, kind of how you ended up where you're at, the, the why behind your passion and what's yeah. next for, for free spiritual community. So let's talk a little bit about, about Ryan, about what got you to where you're at. What's your, I always say purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. And for you, I know that's certainly true. Yeah. You know, my why, we, we talk a lot about our why. I started working on my why actually when I got sober, uh, which was nine and a half years ago. But my why is to help other people find God and beauty in the midst of mess and brokenness. Um, so what does it look like to create something beautiful in the world in the midst of all the pain, in the midst of the mess? Um, and, and that's my purpose. That's the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. In fact, the Japanese, they have a word for it. They call it the ikigai, the thing mm. that gets you out of bed, the thing that keeps you going. Um, so so that that's it for me in a really simple sentence. Uh, but, you know, it was nine, about nine and a half years ago, January 7, 2013, is when I got sober. And, man, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't put down the bottle. I, I didn't know how to stop drinking. And I was creating all this chaos and mess around me. And I didn't know how to stop. Um, married at the time, I had uh, th this, this disease of alcoholism and addiction runs in my family. My brother was killed of this when I was 18. He was 22. He mm. relapsed. He got clean and sober and relapsed and then was uh, and got behind the wheel of a car and died in that accident. Wow. Um, so, you know, addiction was not supposed to be my story. He was the, he was the, the one that took on the label of being the bad kid the, mm -hmm. in and out of the county jail, in and out of trouble. 
I was growing up, I was uh, the label of the good kid. I was active in a church youth group. I was a leader. And uh, so this thing snuck up on me. And once it, once it did, I, I didn't know how to control it. And my life was spiraling. I was losing the things that mattered most to me. And uh, on January 7th of 2013, and I was a pastor at the time, so that's part of my story. I was a drunk pastor, mm-hmm. and I had all this fear of what if people find out and, and um, you know, someone's going to use this to hurt me and go public with my story and my cover's going to be blown. And, um, you know, you can try to wear the mask and try to keep the cover until until you hit your bottom, mm-hmm. uh, until you just that's it's not enough you you lose care about who finds out and so anyway on that monday morning my wife came down the stairs i was passed out on the couch again because that was my life i I drank until i passed out and it didn't matter where i was Hmm. and um she came down the stairs and she was holding another empty vodka bottle Hmm. i tried everything to do to that i knew how to stop I, i i traded in uh, wine and beer for liquor. Then I went back to wine and beer, then gave up brown liquor, then ended with white liquor. And, and I couldn't do any of that. I promised, made all these promises to friends and family. I'm going to stop. Right. I'm going to stop. And anyway, she came down the stairs holding that bottle and it was empty. And uh, this time she had tears running down her face and she said, Ryan, what are we going to do? And, you know, she might have said that a thousand times, but on that morning, I heard that word we, and I knew I wasn't alone, that we were in it together. And, you know, we call it the gift of desperation. I was so desperate because I could not stop drinking and it was taking everything from me. And, um, man, that was, that was the day of my last drink, January 6th. So January 7th is my sobriety day. Hmm. And, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. So, um, I'm I'm going to 12 step meetings. I'm I'm working with other people. And uh, those people taught me how to love myself when I didn't know how to love myself because I was so filled with shame and so scared about people finding out who I really was. Right. And, uh, and uh, about three and a half years into my sobriety with, with the help of my sponsor and some trusted mentors in my life, I went public with my story from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. In one of my sermons, I remember this and, story you told um, me. And it's pretty impactful. Yeah, it, it, it's it's one that sticks with me because it fundamentally changed the trajectory mm. of my life. Uh, because what I found was um, that that next morning, I checked my email. My email box was flooded with messages, and it of was support. Parents, I assume, right? Yeah, support and asking. Um, how'd you do it? How'd you put down the bottle? Or my son is struggling. My daughter's struggling. My mom, dad, uncle, I mean, whatever it was. And so the next week when I show up to my community, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you all are struggling with the same thing. And you're sitting next to each other, but you don't know it because this thing has gone so underground. We have not talked honestly about addiction and recovery and we haven't taken off the mask to see the pain that is right next to us. And it's the same thing we're all, we're, we're, we're battling. Um, Do you think it's so, a harder, you know, go ahead. Well, you go ahead. I was going to ask a you, do you think it's a harder mask to take off when you're in, in church or in a religious environment? Do you think it's the stigmas are, are more intense and more focused, or do you think that's just permeates all of society? 
I think it's everywhere, but I do think it's um, it is more intense in religious settings because we're under this. Um, we have so many negative perceptions of God that if God knows who we really are, then then there's going to be shame. There's going to be punishment, mm-hmm. and and I can't let my my neighbor know that my life is falling apart because then they're going to shame me, and then my cover's blown, and so. We all walk in the front doors and we try to have our ducks in a row and try to prove that our lives are well right. managed and well put together. And we try to wear put on the facade. Right. And then we leave and it's and it's different than real life hits. But we don't want anyone to know. We want to stay in the silence. I've heard that from a few people. And when I talked to you uh, in your hallway or I think it was in your office, you were talking about, you know, for people that go to church for many different reasons. Um, some for the fellowship, some for the community, you know, some for other reasons and the inability for people to really feel like they can be themselves there, you know? Um, and I see a lot of, um, churches really changing to the times being a little, a lot more modern, you know, and a little more, a little more hip, you know? Um, and when I walked into your, um, your place, even though it was a church, I, I just never, I didn't feel like it. And you're, you're, um, your, your, uh, and I, I don't know the actual term, but where your stained glass is in there and all that, uh, the, the forum area where you have your, your talks and stuff was beautiful, man. It was just, it was awe inspiring. And I'm like, I just don't feel like I'm in a church. And I just feel like I'm in a community of people that really sincerely, non pretentious, no ego, really care about each other. And when we were done talking, the people that just hung around and the people that mingled and came up and talked to me about their stories, you know, there was very little, and I mean, very little, like maybe one incident where somebody really was kind of, um, a little aggressive in, in, uh, in their position and their belief, which is fine. I, I, I respect the heck out of that. But most people just talked about, man, thanks for Jeff. Thanks for crying on stage. Thanks for sharing story. Can I give you a hug? And I walked out of there. I walked out of there a better man than when I walked in. So I want to give you credit for changing my life. And really, I still think about that stop, man. Of all the stops we made around the United States, there's something about about your uh, community you have built there with the help of so many passionate people. You really have something special, Ryan, and you ought to be real proud of it. And I think the country needs to hear more about what you're doing and I, I've, there's a part of me that wants to replicate something like this in Cedar Rapids, not a recovery center. Cause those can be a little full of misery and despair and, um, yeah. uh, little depressing, but yours didn't have any of that. Although everyone in there was in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we, from, from day one, we worked really hard to create that atmosphere, to create that culture, the environment, because those things don't they rarely just happen. You have to be very intentional in the, in the surrounding that you're going to create. So when we started in our backyard four years ago, we just started as a pilot. Um, we said, you know what we want to, we, we see the pain. We, we see the struggle. Uh, we see that people are doing it alone. So let's just open up our backyard to see if people are interested in this conversation around addiction, recovery, God, the spiritual, and let's just see what happens. We started mm-hmm. as a four week pilot. We never stopped from that, from that first week we started because hmm. our backyard started to fill up. Then people were asking what's next. And we moved into a 3000 square foot, uh, storefront. I got the blessing from the church where I was serving to 
uh, go do this full time to just go to, to leave there and start uh, this new thing. And we knew, you know, that year we started in 2018, uh, I did six funerals, uh, drug or alcohol related deaths. Uh, five of the six were under the age of 35. And what I noticed is when I did their funerals, uh, you know, with young people, their friends would come in and they'd come into the front of the church where I was serving, but they were so hesitant to come into what's called the sanctuary uh, because mm-hmm. they felt unwelcomed. For them, yeah. church was a place of where they'd been kicked out, where they were told they right. didn't belong, where they were told they needed to clean up, clean up their language, don't smoke in the parking lot, and, um, you know, all these other stories. And uh, so it was really important for us. Let's create a welcoming space where you truly are welcome. You don't have to clean up before you get here. Uh, you are hmm. welcome. Your entire story is welcome here. And we do it together. And we're going to break the silence of addiction together. And so the three categories of people we work very intentionally to welcome in is addicts, loved ones of addicts, and what we call spiritual refugees, people who they believe they don't belong. They've been told they don't belong. Mm-hmm. God wouldn't want them. Um, and so how can we create space where they feel welcomed in? So we've done that very intentionally here at Free is we work hard to create that space uh, where they feel like it's home, where they where they know you can come into this place and your story is welcome. And we that's why our tagline is we don't do shame. Uh, churches yeah. are notorious for for bringing on the shame and telling you how you're not good enough and right. uh, God's going to get you. Right. So we try really hard to change that narrative. So I'm not a rocket scientist, but this just seems so easy and so simple. And why we have to make things so complicated in our society today, with especially mental health and labels and, and stigmas and diagnosis and med- medicine and shame and guilt. And it just seems like we keep adding complexity to something that's just human. It's just love and compassion and, and listening and understanding. Don't judge. I mean, you're... I think anybody could walk off the street and have a belief structure, an atheist, a Catholic, a Christian, a, a Muslim, a Buddha, anyone could come in your front doors. And I think you guys would, would welcome them all equally. 100%. In fact, we have that here. We have people that say, well, you know, I look at God differently. My God's not like that. My God's like this. Or, you know, um, I don't really believe all the Bible or I don't read all the Bible. And it's like, Yo, that's that's my tradition. I come from the Christian tradition, right? Uh, but you don't have to. You can come from another tradition, and what they right. all say is the same thing. This place feels like home, and it's like that's what I that's what I care about. The simplicity that you just talked about, love and compassion, right? How did we ever, as as Christian churches, how did we ever stray so far off the hmm. plot of the story? How did question. we miss that? That's a great uh, and question, it's one, Ryan. Yeah, I, we I should ask at, that like, question. Yeah, like my wife and I, um, we're both agnostic. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you that, but I'm agnostic. I'm just comfortable in being a good human, I guess. And I've never really had a sign from anything, and I've never really been overly concerned with trying to find out. I've just always kind of found inspiration from inside. Um, and I've felt so welcome there. And now my wife wouldn't go to AA meetings because the emphasis on God even though Alcoholics Anonymous has shifted now and they have a higher power now, but even that has an implication of something above us and looking down on us. And my wife wouldn't go to AA really only because of that reason, which is so ridiculous. And if there would have been 
free spiritual community here in Cedar Rapids, my wife and I would have been there in two seconds, dude. And yeah, and I think it would have been great for her to be around what you built in Denver. I, I sincerely mean that, man. I really do. And I wish, I just wish that um, you've just figured it out. You just, you, you, it's, I really, I really applaud what you've done. What was your background prior to all this? Uh, because you have such a really good sense with, I say, human psychology about, you just, you have this, you, the it factor, like you figured it out. It's not that freaking difficult. You treat people nicely. You treat them humanely. You don't judge them. You don't push a narrative. And wow, look what happens. People show up and they're vibrant and they help each other. It's like, it's not that difficult, but human beings just complicate things so much. But what was your background prior to all this before you got into ministry? You know, that was my background. My background was, you know, I went to a Christian college to study biblical studies. Then I went to a seminary to get my master's of divinity. Um, but, and those things are really important. I think education is really important. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I loved the educational process for me. It, 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 it enlightened me in so many ways. But uh, I would also add, don't undermine the experience. So I watched my brother go mm -hmm. through a lot of this and um, the not wanting to go into the doors of a church and the fear of going in and, and the shame that comes into a family when you admit that Hey, I'm going up to the county jail to visit my brother because he's behind bars again because he was selling whatever it was that. he was selling. So, yeah. you know, that um, um, loving him so deeply, but also seeing the pain that was created and the shame that comes into that because you're so scared for people to find out. And um, so that that was my background. And I always I told my wife, Tammy, I said, I want to create a place where I could invite, where I could truly invite my friends. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't inside the doors of a church. And so many of my friends aren't, aren't church people. They're kind of right. what you just described yourself as. Right. Um, so can we ever create a place where I could say, yeah, you ought to come on a Saturday night, check it out. I think something's pretty cool uh, is happening here. And it's a universal human experience of finding hope. And you did. I would also, <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, I think we did. And I can authentically invite people I don't care what your religious background is, or if you even have a religious background. I know hope is happening here. I know life is happening yeah. here. And again, going back to that experience, when you see enough suffering, when you see enough of your friends die, um, you start asking a different set of questions. You know, it's it's all of a sudden not about who's got the right theology. It's it's more about how can we do love better. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a far more interesting question than. Well, let's argue about this Bible verse and let's see who's got the right uh, theology and the right thinking of God on this one. Hmm. Now, let's let's live this stuff out. And I think um, that's for me, that's authentically the path that Jesus lived. I think mm -hmm. we've missed it. I think many churches in the church world, we, we miss that path. We want to mm -hmm. make it about getting the right answers, having the yeah. right beliefs yeah. rather than than living out the ways of love, compassion, forgiveness. Uh, and that stuff is incredibly important. In my book, I, I kind of talk a little bit about uh, what I call the evolution of self and and how we how we look at um, how we look at what you just said. And I present the narrative. I present this case as this this scenario, and this will make sense to you. So, if you're a very religious person and you believe that you know uh, you're being led by some uh, some entity that 
if you do things the right way, if you're a good human and you treat your fellow man and you're, you're good, then you'll be rewarded. Uh, or if you, if you believe in this, this entity that you'll be rewarded in a place called heaven. And if you, if you do things the wrong way or don't do what you're supposed to, you go to hell. And if that's true, then I think you'd want to be a good person, right? I mean, if that was my belief structure, then I think I want to do what you're doing. I, I want to help people. I want to do what I'm doing. I want to help people. Uh, because at the end of the day, maybe I'll get rewarded and go to this place called heaven. Who wouldn't want to go to heaven? So now you say, okay, how about the atheists and agnostics and other people that really don't have heaven in their ideology? Uh, people that are more into reincarnation, things like that. Um, they still have a right. They have mental health. They have they have hopes and dreams. You know, we shouldn't isolate them. So I, I present in my book, this narrative, if you don't believe in the afterlife and you really believe that this is the only chance you have that you're going to go to the same place after you die than you were before you were born, you know, you really believe that this is all you got, then why the heck wouldn't you want to make heaven on earth every day? Why wouldn't you want to live the most intentional life to, to leave the best legacy behind with your family? If all you have is right now, so I don't think, like you said, the time we spend arguing over who's right and whose God is right and you're wrong and, and I have more evidence than you. And it's like, what, why does that preclude you from being just a good freaking human? Why does, it, why does it matter? And I've always had that approach in my mindset. And most of my friends, ironically, are, are Christian. Most of my friends are strong believers. They've never pressured me to change my mind on, on this. And, and I respect that. And I really want to applaud you, man, for feeling so welcome there. And I didn't tell a lot of people about my belief structures. I want to kind of hold that tight. I wanted to observe what you had built there. And man, you, you've just got something figured out there that's really special. And um, uh, I, I can see you just growing and growing and growing. And I think for those people in the Denver area, uh, in your surrounding communities that are spiritually homeless, as I like to call myself, um, mm. you say refugees, I say spiritually homeless, like I'm politically homeless. Um, yeah. I think they should check you out, man. I really do. And this is, I, I'm not getting any compensation for this. And I was there. It, it made an impact on my life. Um, and, uh, I, am just really, really happy our paths, our paths cross. So what do you say to somebody out there right now? If you're speaking to them directly, like you do regularly, um, what do you say to someone that's just lost all hope? That that um, maybe has given up on your on God, maybe has uh, followed God and felt betrayed, or just someone who doesn't even have God at all in their life, but they just feel like they're at the deepest pit of despair. They're at the abyss on their back, looking out of the abyss, and they can't go any further. What what do you what does Ryan Candidate tell somebody right now? Yeah, I would say two things. Um, we weren't created to do this journey alone. And I don't care if you have, have the perfect mental health, if you've never battled addiction or um, when it comes to this life, we were not created to walk it alone. We do it together in community with other people. It's where we find a tremendous amount of hope. Uh, the second thing I would say is oftentimes when people come into this community, they come in with this perception that God is angry. God is against them. Uh, God wants nothing to do with them. And I understand that narrative very well because that was also my story. I thought, man, I believe in this grace stuff, but I, it's for everyone else, but not me. Right. You guys don't right. understand who I am. You don't know my past. Um, and, you know, one of, one of the stories we tell often here 
is the story of what's commonly called the prodigal son. It comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and it's it's the image I constantly remind our community, this is who God is. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but the, the younger son goes to the dad and says, dad, I want my share of the inheritance, which is essentially him saying, I wish you were dead so I could have my money. <laughs> yeah, and the dad right. says, here, take it, take it, it's yours. And the son takes it and he goes and squanders it all on this very scandalous living. And then he runs out of money and, and his life is at this bottom. And he says, this sucks, but I can never go home because my dad won't take me back. And he says, but it's bad enough. So I'll go be a slave at my dad's home, even if I have to work in one of the fields or whatever it is. And so he comes home and uh, the story says, while he was still a, a long way off, the father comes out, who represents God in the story, greets mm -hmm. him at the driveway. And, and the text says he was filled with compassion and gives mm -hmm. him a big hug. And then he says, let's celebrate and throws this big party. And the older brother's like in the background doing one of these, like, right. yeah, I, I've been here the whole time. Where, where's my a, party? Yeah. And, and, and that's how the world is, right? Like we expect this punishment and shame. Mm. And instead God's like, no, 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 I just want you home. And to the older yeah. brother, the father's like, wait a minute, you've been with me the whole time. The party's always been yours. Right. But it's, it's this idea of you don't have to do anything to, you don't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's already yours. It's freely given. So all the things mm. we long for in life, um, love, compassion, forgiveness, grace, these are the things that are they're already ours. They're free. Uh, they're already freely given. And mm. they set us free. So when we mm. live into those things, when I understand my own forgiveness, well, all of a sudden it's easier to forgive someone who has wronged me or betrayed me. Yeah. doesn't mean it's easy, but it means there's a process for it. It uh, gets me because thinking. Because it set me free. It gets me thinking, Ryan. That's a that's an awesome story. I, I love I love the, the the stories and the metaphors and the analogies and stuff in in the Bible. Uh, I've I've read it a couple of times, um, which is surprises people. Um, I, I read it back in high school and again in college um, because I thought there was a lot of really good things I could pull out of it that that would be good stories that like you just shared. Um, and it got me thinking about meditation because I I'm an avid uh, meditator and it's actually been a big part of my life and. In meditation, we practice something called loving kindness. And what that is, is when you're, when you're meditating, I, I use a guided app, by the way, that kind of keeps my attention deficit in meditation mode because it gets me back to my breath when, I, when my mind starts wandering. And in, in, in loving kindness, Ryan, what we practice is um, the, the voice will say, think of somebody that you, and sometimes it's somebody you have a, a affinity for, you care about, or somebody that you're neutral on. You really don't have an opinion on and just think good thoughts. May you be happy. Uh, may you have a good day. Uh, and I've even gone so far as taking somebody I didn't like, which is very rare. I mean, literally on like two fingers, people I don't like. And I actually wished them well. Uh, it was hard, hard to do because they've wronged me immensely, um, uh, you know, just financially and emotionally and everything. But I, I just said I wish you a good day. I wish you good health. And that was just odd. It was, it was odd as in a good, a good way. It was very spiritual for me. Um, and I equate that framework to what you just talked about with your story is that there's a loving kindness element here that I think we're missing as a society that someone cuts us off. And the first thing we think of is giving them the finger or mm -hmm. somebody's in line and we cut in front of them. It's like, or if someone cuts in front of us, we frown at them. Uh, 
And I think once you, you're either doing what you talked about or maybe meditate, it's like, you just have a whole different framework on when you go through day. It's pretty hard for me to get upset anymore. I mean, really hard for me to get upset. Yeah. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, because not only was I in a prison with the bottle, I mean, that was a mm -hmm. prison enough, but even when I put down a drink, I was still in the prison of my hate, my anger. There were mm -hmm. people in my life that I hated that mm -hmm. had caused deep pain in my life, um, mm -hmm. that I swore off and, and I wished them not well, but I wished them harm. And, and that would have been the greatest blessing to me if something bad happened to them. And what I, what I found out was that anger kept me in a prison. It was mm -hmm. only hurting me. So there's that old saying that says, I'm going to uh, drink the poison and expect the other person to die. Um, it's only <sighs> killing me. And so when I can actually, I love how you talk about that in, in very simple ways, um, wish them well, pray, mm -hmm. pray for them a blessing, all the mm -hmm. things that I want for myself, pray for them, but they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. No, no, no it's not about that. Because when I can do that and, and, and over time when I can do it, it becomes a sincere prayer. Maybe, so maybe the first mm -hmm. couple of days, I don't mean it, mm -hmm. but then mm -hmm. something in my heart starts to transform and it has a way of setting me free. So when 100%. I can forgive them and 100%. love them, yeah. I don't know what happens to them. It's not none of my business, but it has a way of setting me free. And I'm really interested in that today. That's, uh, that's kind of selfish, but it's also no. what keeps me going in the world, right? When I'm free, then I can help, help others. It, it's free. not selfish at all. People ask about, you know, uh, all the projects that I'm doing and they'll always say, well, you're helping thousands of people. And like you, I get emails from people saying that I, I, I got one the other day saying that I, someone said I saved their life and I have a hard time even understanding what that means. must've been something I said on a podcast or something they read in my book or at a, at a talk or something, but you know, there's just something about just doing good, that altruism that you get, you know, the effect of altruism you get when you just for no purpose, it's almost like making a donation anonymously. You know, we see, mm. we see a lot of people that do a donation and they, they'll have to post it in social media. Hey, I gave 500 bucks somewhere and, and full disclosure. I've done that in the past when I wanted to promote the charity or whatever that I'm donating to or my own, sure. but some of it's just very pretentious and, um, you can kind of see through it. But one of the things that I'm trying to get, uh, for adolescents and for kids is we're working on, I think I hinted to you about this, this new, um, um, online, uh, personal mental health planning process for kids. One of the things we're going to have in there is their ability to do things anonymously. Like I just said, where they could give, you know, $20 to a homeless shelter in their community. Uh, but then don't post it on Instagram or something, or do something where you are the only person that's going to know what you did. And that's enough. You know, you don't have to go out and promote it. So, but there's little tiny things that we can do each day you know, I think to get through this mental health crisis that we're in, that's just horrendous right now across the board, every statistics worse, and especially with children today, it's baby steps. It's little things that you do, you know, it's, it's not trying to, we're in this fast, fa fast paced society where a pill, you know, you're, you're overweight. So I'm going to just not eat anything. <laughs> it's like, you, you've got to change your whole diet. You got, and not even that, just everything, your mindset, your relationship with food has to yeah. change. And you know, you lost a lot of weight. I know that I've lost almost 40 pounds. I think you lost a lot more than that. Um, and it's not 
it's not losing it. That's the issue. It's how we keep it off. Right. You know, yeah. I've changed my whole diet. I eat completely different. I eat to live now, not to get full. Yeah. And, and I love how you describe it. It's, it's a lifestyle change. It can't mm -hmm. just be one change. And, uh, it's, it's a change in attitude, a change in perspective, a change in gratitude. Um, and then a change with my relationship with food. Um, and once those things start to change, we start to develop new habits. Mm -hmm. And for me, those habits started as small, but man, it was almost 10 years ago. And so now those habits are part of, they're part of my life. I do these, right. I go to the gym now without putting much thought into it. It's like, no, right. this is something I do four days a week. I, I have to do this. And um, because again, our physical health is so tied into our mental health, our spiritual health. And if I'm not healthy, um, and I'm not talking just physically, if I'm not right. healthy, I'm not, I'm not much good in the world. I, I'm, I'm trying mm -hmm. to control things. I'm trying to take back power and, and trying to run the show. And, um, so yeah, those, the, it's, it's about developing for me, at least developing new habits and those habits, we start little. Uh, there's a great book written on this, Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've yeah, read that. James, James Clear. Clearly, it is a great. I've read it. <laughs> I read it. It was awesome. And I try to whenever he's on a podcast, I try to catch him. Uh, yeah, he's, he's good. one of the. He's one of the. Him and Ryan Holiday. Uh, Ryan Holiday's basically made a living off of the Stoic philosophy, which is great. Power to him, and a lot of what he has, you know, is just kind of a, a, a resurgence of stuff that was already out there, which is fine. But he's another person I really like because the Stoics really had some very, you know, matter of fact type philosophies, you know, just some some yeah. things on suffering and pain and sorrow and uh, kind of just healthy mental health living. They didn't call it mental health 2000 years ago, but that's what they were talking about. You know, our relationship with each other, with the planet, with the universe, with with our spirits, our souls and, and all that, you know, how, how to have the best you know, well-being that you can have. And this has been around for a long time. And. There's a renaissance kind of now of these free thinkers and modern writers that are kind of digging up some of this old philosophy back in the day uh, that is still applicable today, you know? Yeah. Um, you, usually the best stuff is the old stuff, right? Yeah, it's I agree. Not reinventing the wheel. It's, it's tapping back into our roots and uh, they had some things figured out. Hey, before I forget, let's talk a little bit about your cafe, man. Uh, what yeah. a great, what a great, uh, offshoot, uh, or I guess a compliment to what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about, uh, what it is, how it happened and where it's going. Cause, um, I was pretty excited when you were showing me the, give me kind of the tour back there. Yeah. You know, it, it started, a, a, a really organically in a really simple way. Uh, my wife, Tammy has 18 years of coffee experience with corporate coffee experience. So she's always had a love for coffee. I love drinking coffee. Um, and in the 12-step world, you know, one of the first meetings I went to, um, I was told to make the coffee. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm the new guy. Sh shouldn't you all be serving me? Uh, right. And it took me a while to get this. But now serving other people, getting outside of our head, getting outside of ourselves, right. it helps keep us centered and sober. Um, so from the backyard days four years ago, Tammy bought this little coffee roaster just to roast coffee. And then we'd serve fresh coffee in our backyard and, uh, people love coffee, uh, especially mm -hmm. people in recovery. Coffee was like the thing we could grab onto. You can take my booze, you can take my cigarettes, but you but are not, not going to coffee. coffee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, then we just started to drink. She started a coffee roastery. It's called wagon coffee. In fact, it's 
emblems on the wall behind me. She employs women in recovery. She is just a coffee roastery and she's, she ships all over the country. Uh, she's in almost every sober living house here in Denver and other stores and restaurants. Uh, so she's crushing it. But we thought, you know, it would be fun to have a cafe and serve your coffee in the cafe, a coffee shop, and let's provide job opportunities for people in recovery. Um, because we know that, you know, a lot of people, they come in with a very checkered past and getting mm -hmm. a job can be difficult. So let's provide job opportunities, volunteer opportunities. Uh, so just two months ago, we had the grand opening of what's called the Free Cafe. Uh, it is part of free spiritual community. So it's, it's part of the nonprofit um, and it's to give job, you know, employment opportunities, volunteer opportunities. Uh, we're open six days a week. Um, we serve food, great coffee. Uh, I think it's the best coffee you're going to get. It's roasted right here. Uh, it's fresh roasted. So you're going to get it's amazing. very fresh coffee. Yeah. And it's, it just, it, it adds to providing safe place, safe space for people to come in and just be and so that's what this cafe is for it's for you to come in and just be you can work meet with friends whatever is there a story behind the name uh you know we we went with free because uh no, i meant I the wagon saying, or, the, oh the, the wagon way. yes uh there is a story behind the name so we, i knew there was i just want to hear it from you <laughs> <laughs> uh wagon coffee uh we've always said it free we're the wagon together and I tell the story frequently. Uh, it was a few years ago. I was uh, in the uh, at the L.A. Rescue Mission in Los Angeles, uh, the largest rescue mission in the country, uh, serves a huge homeless population, doing incredible work. I was taking a tour with the executive director. He takes me to the top floor. And on their top floor is where they have pictures of all their memorabilia. And one of the center black and white photos was a picture a large picture of a wagon and i said what's the story with the wagon and he said you don't know about the wagon and i said no but apparently i need to know he said that's how we got started in the late 1800s this wagon would go to the roughest parts of la which did exist in the late 1800s and they would go at night and they would dist distribute uh, food clothing bibles other essentials and then at the end of the night they would welcome anyone who wanted to get on the wagon to get on and go back to a place of recovery. Hmm. So what happens when you get a bunch of drunks on a wagon? Some of them fall off, which is okay. where we get the term falling off the wagon. Interesting, now, I never this, knew that. When they fell off, yeah, a lot of people, this is a fascinating story. When the drunks fell off the wagon, the sober ones, they would stop the wagon, the sober ones would jump off and help them back on because they knew where they were headed. And I heard this story and I wow. took a picture of that picture. And I said, if we ever start anything new, I want our central image to be a wagon uh, because we do this work together. The healing, it does not come alone. It comes together. Mm. And if you fall off, it's okay. We're going to pick you back up as a community. And so Tammy took that image and she ran with it with her coffee. She That's said, brilliant. I'm stealing wagon coffee and we're going to do this together with women. Uh, so she employs women in recovery. And they're just knocking it out of the park. But this community, we we uh, we know the story of the wagon, and it's our story. Yeah, I, I just love your entrepreneurial mindset because you know, out of the ashes, sometimes some of the greatest uh, organizations are built, greatest people are inspired, the greatest stories come from sometimes the worst of times. So, 
when you were at your darkest place, how dark was it? It was really dark. Um, and yet I didn't know how to tell you that because mm -hmm. I was so concerned with self-preservation. I got to preserve this image, who you think I am, uh, the, the pastor I want you to think I am. I've got all the answers. I'm close to God and, uh, and I don't, I don't struggle. Only you people struggle, but I don't. Yeah. Um, and what it did was it caused me to hate myself mm. because every morning when I woke up and looked at the mirror, um, and I didn't have the language for it then, I just knew I hated what I saw. I was mm -hmm. miserable. I thought I was, and I, I was, I, I wasn't a good father. My, my oldest daughter, who's now 12, she was two and a half at the time I got sober, um, I was not a good father to her for those two and a half years. I was a very absent, drunk father. I wasn't a good husband. And I knew these things, but mm -hmm. they caused so much shame to admit them. And, and to, uh, now even the miracle of saying these things out loud and owning it and not being so uh, fearful of what the outcome is going to be. It's like, no, I, that, that's who I was. I, I can own that and I can now do better. I, I like how you say it. We live life better, not bitter. It's easy to get stuck in the bitter, all the ways things went wrong in my life, all the oh, bad yeah. things that happened in my life. Yeah. But also, as you say, the beauty that comes out of the pain. Right. And that's why I always tell people you cannot escape the pain. You got to go through it because that's, that's where the most beautiful things happen is uh, they're as a result of the pain that we go through. And that's how we give hope to others. Pain is unavoidable. Suffering is a choice. Yes. Yes. I, I love that. I actually have totally. stole that. I have stole that from Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, which I think it's one of the top five books of all time. I don't know how many millions and millions of copies, but he's been dead for a while, but he was in Auschwitz concentration yeah. camp. Everyone uh, should read that book. Oh, okay. You've read it then. I assumed, I yeah. assumed you did because you're pretty wise on this stuff. But yeah, Viktor Frankl is such a, what a great, uh, you know, he sat there and even my son, Roman, I don't remember if Roman was there with you or maybe it was just my cousin. Yeah. It was the last stage. My two boys were back home, but if you'd have met my youngest yep. son, he normally talks at the panels that we did. And he always, he loves that phrase and loves that book. And he always talks about Victor Frankel. You know, he's 19 and he's quoting Victor Frankel. I love it. And you know how awesome. Victor Frankel basically said, I can't, I can't choose if the guards will beat me. I can't choose if I'll get fed. I can't even choose if I'm going to live today, but I can choose my attitude at the moment. And, and that's that mindset he claims got him out of Auschwitz, but there was a ton of luck involved too. At any moment, he just could have been killed. So right. the combination of luck and his attitude, and then he got out and decided to start talking about it. And I was reading his book, uh, a while back when I was kind of having a tough time a couple of years ago, as my wife's health was declining. And this was after our son died and I came across that quote. But the way Victor said it was suffering is my opportunity. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, um, that's powerful. It's like suffering is not an impediment. It's a doorway. You know, it's not blocking my progress to a good life. It's actually enlightening me to a good life. And so you mentioned earlier about pain. It's like, we are taught to fight pain, especially men, not cry, not show emotions. You know, um, it'd be easy for me to say, as a man, Ryan, on my watch, I let my son die. I let my wife die. It'd be very tempting for me to go down that road. Mm -hmm. I never did. And I never will. Um, 
but a lot of people do. A lot of people have things happen to them and it becomes the unwinding, uh, like my, for my wife, for example, I hate to talk anywhere disparaging about her and I'm not, this is to help other people going through what my wife and I went through is, you know, her inability to really focus on her trauma at the deepest roots prior to even Seth dying things that happened in her childhood, coupled with the death of a son or a child and alcoholism on top of it prior to him dying. That's a recipe for the bitter road and, and she's not here. I am. So part of my mission is to carry on her story, my son's story, relate it the easiest way I can, because a lot of people can't compare themselves to what I went through because you know, it's my story, but your own suffering is your own suffering. And it's just important. Your pain is just as valuable to you as my pain is to me. And I think it's really important as people really start to peel back the layers and understand where they stand to be careful to compare grief because that can, that can do more harm than good, yeah. you know? Um, but I, I think those are, those are important stories. I think what we're doing, having conversation, um, you always bring someone up for a moment. Uh, like when we were there, there was a lady that came up and talked about her journey. She did a great job by the way. Yeah. Those are important. Those are really important for the average person sitting out there going, you know what? Ryan's average, Jeff's average. They went through amazing things. There seem to be figured out a few things. I, you and I both have things we work on daily. That'll never change. And the average person in the audience is going, wow, I, I can do that too. If Ryan can do it and Jeff can do it, so can I. And that's the key of, that's the beauty of vulnerability, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's constantly asking the question of, if you're if you're sitting here tonight or right now, if you're if you're here, you've been given a tremendous gift. You you are breathing, uh, so that breath you just took, it's a gift, and the breath you just took after that, it's another gift. Um, so what are you doing with the pain you've gone through? Um, don't waste it. Don't, you know, we, we commonly say, don't waste the mm. pain. Use like it that. to help someone else. You know, it was uh, I don't mm. know if you know the story of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He was put in charge of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee after all the atrocities of apartheid. Mm -hmm. And when asked who he wanted on this committee, he said, I want those who have uh, been raped, those who had seen their parents killed. I want the ones who had their homes burned down. Mm. Uh, but then he said, in order to serve on this commission, they must be people who have forgiven their oppressors. Wow. And everyone said, what, what do you mean? And he says, these people will be called the wounded healers of South Africa. So wow. yes, of course you've been, you've been wounded. You've been through some things in life. And, and in this, right. in our community, you know, addiction, it puts you through, I mean, you know, these, these stories, you, you've been mm -hmm. through it. You, you know what addiction causes. It mm -hmm. puts you through the ringer, through pain and um, some awful things happened. You've been through some trauma. Um, but now you can be a wounded healer. You can use mm -hmm. all that pain to add into the healing in the world. But if you waste it, if you just for, try to forget about your story, try to ignore the past, um, well, then how are we adding to the healing? We've got to use the past to inform the present. Is that kind of similar to that mindset um, thing? Do things happen to you or do things happen for you where you can basically reframe almost anything in your life as really as painful it can be? as an opportunity, not a curse. Yeah. And I think Viktor Frankl called it uh, redemptive perspectives, right? So how do you look at that 
how, how do you yes, change did. That's the right. lens That's right. and find the redemption in it? Not not try to act like it wasn't painful. It didn't hurt you. But right. where's the redemption? Right. You know, if I didn't have a brother die, and I'm, right. I, I, I wish to God he was still here. I, I love yep. that dude. But yep. if I didn't go through addiction and being a pastor and deep in addiction, well, I would have never started a community that's giving hope to many, many people who thought there was a no, uh, no way out, who were stuck in despair. That's a pretty cool thing. That's a, I can actually have gratitude for that. So I can say I'm grateful that I'm an alcoholic, that I couldn't hmm. put down a bottle. Um, I love yeah, it. some hard things happen, but I'm grateful for it. You it's know what you me. did? Instead of you going to a doctor or you going to, you know, maybe a, a church that's a little behind the times uh, of adapting to today, you just said, you know what? I'm going to form my own. <laughs> I'm going to do this myself. And that's what you did. And from the ground up, you built this organization now to kind of emulate what you wish you would have had at your darkest moments that you just said, screw it. I I'm going to do this myself. And again, people can do this. You know, people can do this. People look at me and they probably say the same thing. Well, you did a book, you do a podcast. And, and I, I had the same mindset. I, I didn't see a book out there that, that, was written in, from the lens that I was going to write it. And I didn't see too many podcasts that brought on people that just every day are heroic stories. Um, and so I just kind of did this. I just kind of invented it, made, made up as, as, as I went. And, and you're the same mold. I think most advocates in this space that are trailblazers uh, initially get some pushback, maybe some not the best feedback early on. I'm sure you went through some tough patches oh, yeah. when you were, yeah, I, I know you did for a fact and, <laughs> and you still will. That's just part of growth. Um, but you choose the growth and you're not letting those things become, uh, barriers to what you're trying to accomplish. You have this unwavering confidence that what you're doing is the right thing. And I think anybody going through recovery, sobriety, addictions, trauma, you have to have that unwavering faith, right? That, that what you're doing is going to work out. Yeah, unwavering faith and the, the willingness to step into fear. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd be lying if I said, man, there's been some scary times of doing a new thing will always be scary because you don't know the outcome. When we started right. in our backyard, I remember thinking, I don't know, is anyone going to show up or is it going to be <laughs> me and Tammy tonight? And that's a scary feeling. But what I've learned is you just keep taking another step and you embrace the fear. You don't act like it's not there. You don't ignore it. You say... Yeah, this whole thing could fall apart. It might not work, and that's okay. If it doesn't work, we'll go do something else. Um, but the only thing worse than doing it is would be not to do it. Like mm -hmm. um, I could, you could choose not to do the new thing that's beating in your spirit, and, mm -hmm. and, and people know it. If they're being called to a new thing, your spirit gets loud. The drum beats, and so um, yeah, it's scary to do it. But what's worse is not doing it. Uh, mm -hmm. Because then you live with all the regret and all the what ifs. And I just thought, man, I don't want to live that way. Let's go after this and see what happens. And so now today it's a, it's a different kind of fear. It's a, it's like a holy sacred fear of oh, what's, what's today going to bring? What, what's it going to be like when Jeff gets out here? And I've never met this guy. I, I don't know much about living under turtle only, you know, what I found on the website, but the whole thing could fall apart. Or it could be really freaking cool, and it was yeah. it was actually really freaking cool and great to connect with you. But those are things we get to step into today and say, "Hey, what if something really cool happens?" Instead of Man. "What if it all falls apart?" 
I'm so happy you said that because when I decided to go on the tour, you know, I had like 40 different free spiritual community days where I walked in blind. Like I met the guy or gal on zoom, talked on the phone a few times. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Uh, and I ended up handing out Narcan in the woods in Delaware with the Lieutenant governor. We ended up at a, at a Portland refugee support community with Muslim re refugees from Syria. I ended up in an Indian reservation in, in Fremont, New Mexico. I was all over the place, dude. I mean, but I tell you what, I went into it very open-minded, uh, as a, as an exploration of ideas, not an explanation. In other words, I wasn't on the Jeff Johnston lecture series. I was yeah. on a, I'm a sponge. I was like, I, I want to know what Syrian refugees feel like when they're depressed. I want to know what their mental mm -hmm. health challenges are, the bigotry and racism that goes to towards Muslims in America that come here looking for a better chance. And, and, and so many people in America don't want them here. And, um, that's unfortunate, especially if they come through all the legal ways they're supposed to come through yep. and we should embrace these people. We should understand their culture. We should learn about that. That's what makes us all better. You don't have to agree with anything. You just, you, you, you certainly want to respect them. And, um, yeah, maybe just maybe you'll become a better human being if you just learn to respect and understand other people's viewpoints. So when you said I was coming there and you didn't know what to expect, you know, take that times 40 for me. Yeah. Cause I was coming in, I was coming in off the street in an RV and I didn't know what to expect, but I, I had, there was no downside to me. My, my, my mindset was even one event, we had four people show up. I drove 12 hours, four people. That's a punch in the gut. I got an expensive yeah. RV. I got t-shirts. My boys are there. I got a documentary crew and there's four people. And I thought to myself, okay, we're here. There's four people. That's better than three. It's better than two. And I'm going to sit down. And so I canned my speech, pulled up chairs. We got in a circle. We cried. We laughed. We hugged. And I don't know if I helped anybody, but my default option every time I speak, Ryan, is me. I know for certain I'm the one person that's always going to get helped. So if I speak in front of a group of people and everyone walks out of there going, man, that guy, that guy's crazy. I, I didn't benefit listening to Jeff at all. I know, Ryan, I did. And yeah. I'm always going to be better off in any environment where I'm speaking, as long as there's at least one person. <laughs> so I'm not speaking to an empty room. Um, totally. but that mindset, that mindset helps me get through the tough times. I just, I don't have a high expectations anymore. I just go with each day as kind of, you know, I think of myself of like, you know, I'm in a canoe. I can either fight upstream by myself or I could fight upstream with a group of people helping me or, you know, in a big boat. And we got a lot better opportunities to get to where we're going quicker. We can take breaks while the other people are oaring. But if you're by yourself trying to do this solo, it's a tough paddle, man. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough river to, to, to row against. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, totally agree. And, and I love what you said about, um, if I can summarize that mm -hmm. when we're living into our purpose and passion, as I think you are, as I think I am, um, we don't, we don't get to control the outcomes. And when I learned that, when I, when I was, and not just learned it up here, but when I was able to grasp that and hold on to it, if I'm doing the thing I feel called to do, living into that why, my, 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 my purpose in the world, then it doesn't matter. All of a sudden, the, the outcomes become, it's not that they're not important, but you don't, 
focus on that because you realize right. you can't control that. What we get to do is right. you get to show up and speak to that group of four people and cry right. with them. And I bet there was some healing that took place. Oh, that yeah. we, you might, might oh, not yeah. even know the healing that takes place. Right. Um, it's always amazing to get emails or even letters. Uh, I received a letter from a guy in prison uh, not too long ago. And he said, you'll never know how much that talk meant to me when you were in there, um, when you came in and it was a maximum security prison and he was out of prison now and he's clean and sober and has a job and a family. And it's mm. like, dude, like we don't realize uh, the healing that takes place. Even the stories we'll never hear. Uh, but when we show up and we just keep taking the next right step and it's an incredible life we get to live and, and we don't have to be consumed and obsessed with, well, how many people are going to show up tonight? Um, mm. You know, who, who's, who's going to be there, but we just get the thing where we get to do the thing we're called to. And that's, man, that's a gift. Yeah. Showing up is so key and, and you're right. Um, I think that's the first step in most things of any self-reflection or therapy you're trying to get through. You need to show up. I mean, you need to give yourself a chance. You know, when you're drinking, you're not giving yourself a chance. Uh, if you can find a way, I had someone the other day, we were talking about this. Um, and it's like, you know, drinking is like the easy way out of your problems, right? Not drinking is the hard way. And I thought to myself, why is it presented to us that way? Why can't not drinking be the easy way? I don't understand it. Why, yeah. why, why do, why do we, our industry, you got sobriety, you got being an alcoholic. You, and, and it's like one road is difficult. And ironically, the thing we should be doing is what's difficult. But if for me, Ryan, it's easier not to drink, man. It's the easy road is not drinking. The hard road for me would be going back to drinking, but we're not wired that way. People are told that, Oh, when you're trying to escape your pain, you drink. I'm like, I just think that's the, that's the harder road for me. I want to stay on the easy road. It's easier for me to be sober. It's easier for me not to drink, but we don't really present that in our own minds from that lens. We, we try to present it as a struggle, good versus evil, drinking, not drinking, you know, right and wrong. It's like, no, to me, it's just, I choose not to drink. It's, I mean, it's yeah. literally that simple. Yeah. Uh, and it's like today I get to sit with my feelings. I didn't know how to do that before. I didn't know how to sit with fear, man. I mm. pushed fear to the side and I ignored it. I wouldn't know how to sit with anger and resentment. Uh, today I get to sit with those things and actually feel the things. Uh, it took me a minute to get there. I, I wouldn't have used that language of I get to um, right. early on. But today you're right. It's It would be harder to go back because I know the freedom that comes with actually sitting with those things and dealing with them rather than avoiding, ignoring, trying to push them aside. Um, so yeah, I totally hear you. It makes a lot of sense. Well, I know we're up against the clock. Uh, I know you have to get going. Um, how do people reach you if they want more information? Yeah. So you can uh, visit us on our website, free spiritual community.com. Uh, we also have a free app, free spiritual community. It's free to download. Uh, or on, um, Anywhere on social media, Facebook, Instagram, the handles free spiritual community. We can connect there. Well, I just want to let you know, we are planning the living under third us tour, uh, tour two next summer. And I want to extend an offer to come back. Uh, and, and, uh, I would love that. Yep. And, um, probably make it towards the end again. That was a great way to finish last year. So, um, you're welcome reach here out anytime. To yeah. Yeah. We, that, we I, I felt at home. So listen, appreciate what you're doing, man. Keep living under third and love you like a brother, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Love you too, Jeff. Take care.